Hey, everyone. Footnotes will start in just one second. But uh, when Chris and I recorded it, it was before we had learned about the passing of Steve Soto. So I wanted to take a moment and just pass on my condolences and, you know, eulogize a huge influence, a huge, huge presence in punk, you know, someone that it's been said time and time again since he passed was one of the nicest people you'll ever meet in this music business or whatever you want to call it. And it's true. I got a chance to meet him uh, quite a few times over the years. And every time he was a really nice, welcoming person, you know, and someone who by resume didn't need to do that because he was really hugely influential, gave us some of the greatest punk songs ever, uh, played, you know, in the adolescence, Agent Orange, Lethal Weapons, uh, like 22 Jacks was where I first got to see him. And yeah, certainly uh, someone that will be missed by a lot of people. And so I would like to pass on my condolences again to his friends and family and anyone who uh, is a fan of his music because, you know, truly one of the great legends. Anyway, here's Turned Out of Punk Footnotes. And welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I am one of your hosts. Oh, wait. No. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk Footnotes. I'm one of your hosts, Damien Abraham, and your other host, as always, is the very patient Chris O'Toole. Chris, how are you doing? <laughs> Good, Damien. How are you? Good. Well, we've had to uh, try that intro now for three times. Um, <laughs> And, uh, you know, it's still still not perfect, but we're going to go with this one. No, it was uh, – I like this one. It, it flowed nicely. Uh, you, you thought the first one was weird. Um, now that's going to be lost forever. <laughs> so no one's going to hear that weird kind of introduction I gave you. But I, I stand by it as being the best one I ever did. But unfortunately, you know, it's lost forever now. Yeah, only me. Audience of one, yeah. Exactly. But that's that's how culture should exist, you know. Why are we doing this for everyone? It's not for everyone. It's just for – local audiences. I did a podcast today with someone and he's like, will anyone care about this stuff that you're asking me about? And I said, I don't give a fuck if anyone else cares. I care about it. <laughs> that is, it's uh, oddly uh, fitting though, because I do feel that there's a lot of truth in that. <laughs> and also, uh, also I do feel that that is for the people that feel the same way that it is their greatest reward. So it's also, you know, it's, it's very gratifying for people who actually care, but you're right. It is a very often small amount of people. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't claim to, to want, you know, everyone's invited to the party. Yeah. But I don't expect everyone to stay. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. You know, like people well dip said. in, people dip in for the Jack Black episode or they dip in for the David Cross episode. Yeah, they dip right back out sometimes because then it's me talking about the discographies of labels that were defunct 20 some odd years ago. Yeah, I, I do think, though, to your point about sort of the the overall premise of Turn It a Punk in general, which is, you know, uh, how people gravitate to it, what what their course of, of entry is or point of entry. Uh, I do think, you know, hopefully there are some people that perhaps – uh, if they're so inclined, follow some of the leads that you throw down, and therefore, that's that's where 
you know, your hard work comes into play. Yeah, no, definitely. And it's like, you know, I'm not, you know, trying to be sour grapes about this when I say this because it is ultimately kind of flattering that people listen. But like, you know, I'll read articles online where I'm like, oh, 100% that person got that information from Turn Out a Punk. And it's like, not me saying that because I, I assume that everyone listens to this podcast just because I know that that little piece of information did not exist yes. in the common conversation until the person brought up on the show. And like, yeah, that's just crazy flattering to know that this show is like listened to by people that are taking it in and doing other things with this kind of information. That's, that's awesome. You know, it's, it's kind of like the ultimate flattering thing to kind of have what you're doing, you know, reflected upon. Yes. And again, I think it serves, you know, the, the end serves the means or means serves the ends, pardon me. Um, in that, as long as that information then becomes, you know, disseminated accordingly, then it's beneficial to those who are interested. And yep. therefore, that's that's what we want. Yep. That's what I want. Yep. Like yeah. friend of the show, uh, Fred Armisen, has been asked to play a show with Devo coming up, right? Nice. And so uh, I, we were chatting and I mentioned to him, did you know about Jack Black's brother? And he said, <laughs> no, I don't. And I told him, and it blew his fucking mind. <laughs> okay, well, really quickly, for people who've just jumped in on this, just as a back... back. Go back and listen to the Jack Black episode. If, yeah, you, go, if you're, like, lost listen. right now, yeah. go back Jack and Black, listen. The Jack Black interview reveals what we're discussing. Yeah. So, yeah. His brother invented the Whippet sound on Whippet. Is what, <laughs> what I'm kind yes. of making you, let's go back and listen to the episode to kind of find out. Yeah. I hate when people do that, so I shouldn't do that to people. Spoiling, you mean? <laughs> Not spoiling, no, but more just like withholding, like making people yeah, go back yeah. and listen because people like have too much stuff on their mind. Yeah, like, they might have forgotten, and then they'd be frustrated. They have to go back and listen to the Jack Black episode. So no, don't worry, don't worry. I'm just going to give you the information you need. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. What? Uh, get your plugs out of the way. You didn't get them. Uh, yeah. Find me on various forms of social media at Left for Damien. Uh, subscribe to this podcast on your preferred podcast platform. That's some good alliteration right there. Uh, please tell all your friends, let them know, let everybody know everyone everywhere, tear this podcast down. Um, uh, also if you see in the feed, there are some other podcasts like this one, like oil and flowers with my buddy Buddha blaze talking about, uh, Chris's favorite topic, cannabis and, <laughs> And, uh, yeah, like, you know, so, you know, that's, that's how you support this thing and support is, is something that Vans helps do. So I don't have to pay for the web hosting and all this kind of stuff out of my own pocket. So thank you very much to them for doing all that stuff. And, uh, yeah, that's it. I think that's, I think I'm good for plugs. Nice. You did well. Flowed well. <sighs> that's, that's good. I think that's good. Yeah, we're good, Chris. We're really good. Uh, we've got a lot of stuff to get to this week. Once again, turned out a punk has gifted us, me, uh, you too, Chris, everyone potentially with a great cosmic reconnection that was brought about <laughs> through an episode of this show. And it, this is the kind of stuff that makes me overjoyed. We got to talk about that. We got to talk about a mailbag. And then, of course, we got to talk about this Spike Slauson episode, which I don't know how much of this you were expecting, Chris, when you tuned into the guy from Me First and the Gimme Gimmies. But, uh, yeah, I went to some different sorts of places. 
Well, if I listened to everything at face value, I would have been very surprised. But because <laughs> I tend to talk to you and I kind of know what's coming down the pipe, I did. I was uh, in tune a little more. But yeah, regardless, it was awesome to hear. I'm always, anytime there's an interview that goes places where I would never expect I'm happy, those are, those are my favorites. So this was one of my sort of in that category. And also, like, you can tell Spike, it's really weird because, like, he's a guy who – by his own admission, wasn't very proactively involved in in punk other than just being, you know, like the most important thing of, of someone who participated by going to shows and, and seeing bands and supporting bands and things like that. But at the same time, like someone who's got like a very philosophical take on it, like he was obviously taking everything around him in and, you know, walking away from it with uh, some sort of uh, like thoughts on everything that was going on. Yeah. It it appeared that way based on the interview for sure. A very, very fun chat. For sure. Uh, But we got other stuff to get to before we get to that, Chris. We got to get to uh, headlines. Uh, Thankfully, I don't think we have to go into too many headlines this week. I don't recall anything that came up that uh, I didn't have anything anyway. Did you have something queued up? No. uh, Rollins talked at a Wii convention in Vancouver. Okay, which is yeah. like my world's crashing together. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think, I think it would be like that. It would be too much of a good thing for me. Like, I don't know if I want that, you know, mm. it's like pizza and ice cream. I don't know if I want to mix my pizza, and my ice cream. <laughs> yeah. I, that's a good point. It, uh, I don't know how that would taste. Yeah. I've never tried it, but uh... I don't know. I think it, I don't know. It's to me in, in in this day and age that does not surprise me that coupling. But not to say that I expect you know uh, him to be some kind of like. I, again, I don't know. I I just you've talked to me a little about this off air. So, well, Chris, I, you know, you know, like uh, you know, like um, you know, like you know enough about cannabis smokers like myself to know that. There are different types, right? And for for the vast majority, it, they're fairly like chilled out kind of people. <laughs> that that is the stereotype, yeah. Yeah, but then like, have you seen the movie Days and Confused? Of course, I have. You know that scene where the guy walks by and he's like, "Oh, well, someone's smoking the reefer," and he goes, "Yes, that's right, motherfucker. I'm smoking marijuana. Got a fucking yeah. problem with it? I think that's what kind of weed smoker Rollins would be like." Oh, I get what you're saying. Yeah, you know, I can even tell you that the that scene. I just actually watched that movie two days ago. But uh, that scene, the the actor you're talking about is uh, is Nikki Katz, who plays that character, who's in a number of those movies. But um, but yeah, that I know what you're saying. But I think that movie that that character in that scene is also uh, mainly drunk, from what the movie is. Although that scene, of course, is the the weed scene. But he's drinking or whatever. That's the uh, portrayal. But couldn't you picture Rollins being like, yeah, I smoke sativa, not indica, <laughs> fuck that shit, I'm not good at mellow. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I've never thought about it, uh, I, I guess, I don't know. Like, I my, my new goal in life is to smoke weed with all my punk heroes. Yeah. Even can... if they don't want to. <laughs> I think you'll you'll succeed at most of those. I would imagine. I don't know. Like I'm, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna out the the list of people. Yeah. Um, because I think some of them don't want it to be known. 
Um, but I'm not one of those people that claims that he smoked weed with Henry Roll or with uh, Ian McKay. No, you're not. And I was there, so I can attest to the fact that that did not happen. No, but uh, like there are a lot of people that you know. There seemed like it's probably not like this anymore. But back in like the uh, the '90s, there seemed like there was yeah. a dude in every town that worked at a record store that was older that claimed that one time he'd smoked weed with Henry Rollins. Or the Emakai, she's like, you're going back to Rollins, uh, <laughs> while Fugazi was on tour. Yeah, I don't know. I, that's, yeah, those urban legends, I don't like. Oh, it's obviously an urban legend. Could you picture, like, first of all, you're Emakai. Are you going to throw it all away to smoke weed with some annoying dude from the record store that just won't leave you alone? <laughs> um, like, you're like, I, fuck it. Yeah, yeah, okay. Let's go smoke your dirt weed. <laughs> the evidence would suggest obviously no, but I, I mean just on the grounds of uh, our our encounter would not lead me to feel that way outside of what I already knew right previous. So, yeah. Yeah, he does not seem like a, you know, he doesn't seem to have that mellow edge. <laughs> that's not even what I do. That's not even what I'm trying to say there. I just mean in general, it just... As someone who is of 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 the other side, so to speak, um, I you know I just he doesn't seem like that kind of person to me. He seems he seems more in my league, which is is what I mean to say. That's all. In Safuka, in Minor Threat, he was definitely like kind of got a sativa vibe, but then in Fugazi, <laughs> when they got a little bit of the groove stuff going on, um, it might have been waiting hybrids. room waiting room. I'll give you this much right now. <laughs> Waiting Room definitely does sound like a song that was written by someone who likes to smoke weed. And approved by someone that likes to smoke weed too. <laughs> but uh but in terms of uh in terms of everything else, I don't know. <laughs> Waiting Room might be weirder than any Ween song. <laughs> like, because of who it came from, yeah. But also just like structurally as far as like a song goes, like like I don't know, it's just a very it's a very loose kind of vibe in the studio it's yeah but that sounds very strange because it's uh strange in a good way for me it's a song that as you as you age with it seems like what we're discussing right now seems really bizarre but when i first heard it i was so floored by how like again i heard it as a as a very young person <laughs> but uh I was floored by how good it was in my head i just had never heard anything like that not to say like i hadn't heard anything that was like perhaps reggae rhythmically inspired but just that you know the 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 sort of chorus or what have you i just thought it was cool and i associate with skateboarding on all that stuff so i was really into it but yeah you're right it, the more i age and i think like wait well, how did this come out of that like considering all the parties involved and like i don't know it just it, it seems bizarre but i will say it is it is a good song i stand by it an insane johnny meme would be like <laughs> uh, like Fugazi is just reggae without the weed. Yeah, exactly. It would be a little more clever than that, but yes, <laughs> Not that would be. That's totally what it would be. What do you mean to be more clever than that? Come on. Well, you can always send that meme in, or someone can send. Oh, uh, believe in. me, I'm not submitting shit. I'm not submitting <laughs> shit to a meme page. <laughs> <laughs> either way <laughs> i'm waiting for there's yet to be uh speaking of really funny internet things my favorite my favorite like uh current phenomenon as far as the meme sort of like uh 
like like sort of poking fun at things is the fake images of bands or celebrity people, like particularly bands or musicians, where it's clearly not who they are, but it just says the you know whatever. Yeah. Be like, so I'm shocked I've yet to see one come up for fucked up on there. So that's my dare for people in the the public spectrum. Yeah, well, right you know, because we kind of play ourselves like that anyway. You know, you can put up like like action Bronson. I remember like this is pre meme, but uh, Alchemist. Like the yeah. DJ uh, sent Action Bronson a picture of me on the cover of Spin. And he was like, yo, I'm so happy to see you made it, dog. You're on the cover of Spin. Way to go. <laughs> I don't like, mean like that. I just but mean... it's like trolling him. But that's yeah. like kind of proto meme. Yeah, true. I, I just mean like the funny. I think actually the, the most meta funny meme of your band would be to actually put up a picture of your band that just says fucked up. And that would be the meme. As in, it's it's kind of true. (laughs) Anyway, this is getting real nerdy, but where do you want to go? Uh, Let's uh, open up this uh, mailbag. No, actually, I'm going to cue you up right now because you didn't actually get to what you're about to talk about on social media for yourself. Well, I was going to save it, but yeah, we can get to that first and start off. Uh, A couple weeks ago on the podcast, I think it was actually – Last week, last week, uh, uh, Fat Tony was on, of course, an amazing rapper, an incredible episode. But in that episode, he told an absolutely hilarious story um, uh, uh, about like uh, about doing this first Erg show, like a hilarious story about like putting on the very first, you know, or his very f- second show that he went to, I should say, was doing this Erg show and how it was a disaster and how he like. Hope that the Ergs would forgive him. And Joe from Nightbirds and the Ergs reached out on Twitter and sent him a message to Fat Tony. And I've reposted it, of course, on my Instagram because this is one of my proudest achievements. He says, hey, Fat Tony, just listen to your episode of Turned Out a Punk. Trust me, the Ergs were never mad at you. Houston was always hard to book, and we were happy to play to anyone who'd listen. Love the songs. Let me know if you ever need bass. There you go. So there you go. Like, I'm going to say Turn Out a Punk has had a couple achievements. I'm going to put that on the achievement list as one of my favorites. Like, right there, underneath, of course, the MVP Zach Blair reunification. <laughs> yep. Which came about through this podcast, which I think, you know, is still the greatest story ever told. Forget the Bible. This is the real greatest story <laughs> ever told. And yeah. And then, of course, also... The fact that Tim Shaw from Ensign played in a band with Michael Ian Black that people didn't know about. But the amount of people that knew or know Tim that had no idea that he was in a band with the guy from Wet Hot American Summer is staggering. (laughs) True. Uh, And only you would unearth these things, but yes. Well, these are like like my proudest achievements, you know? (laughs) These are really like... You know, these are these are right up there with I'm trying to think of some other things that have come. There have been a bunch of other. There's been a couple other ones, um, you know, uh, obviously this has taken on a much more tragic turn. But I think uh, I did not know and I don't know how common knowledge it was. I think it was before they really started working together on the show. But Harley Flanagan was Anthony Bourdain's daughter's uh, jujitsu teacher. Yeah, that's correct. I remember. Well, I thought it was his, but okay. Gotcha. No, I think it was his daughter's. He said on the show, "I gotta go back and listen again." But yeah, um, but you know, there's been some like very interesting kind of things to kind of come out of the show. But like, 
when something like that kind of comes out and like, it's almost like history reaching through time to be like, yo, it's you guys, like, not only is it all good, but both of you kind of found success in music, you know, and the Ergs are a legendary pop punk band. Like they're the band's band when it comes to that style of music. Um, a pop punk band you never have to be embarrassed about liking. And, you know, of course, Nightbirds have had tons of success as well as a hardcore band. So Joe went on to do, you know, his thing in, in music. And then Tony went on to do his thing in music. And here they are years later reconnecting because of some silly podcast where I force people to talk about really nerdy shit. <laughs> well said. <laughs> Perfectly said. Yep. This is, all, this is all I wanted to do, Chris, with my life, you know? <laughs> just reconnect reconnect these dots um uh but that 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 was uh one of my highlights of the week seeing that happen so hopefully a collaboration comes about and there will be uh you know uh some uh yeah good feelings out of that nice so where do we go from there chris let's open this mailbag up now yeah we got uh, a message here that's a little lengthy but i'll get through it here um it's from i believe i'm saying it right Janny, J-A-N-N-E, I hope I'm pronouncing that, but it's got, uh, I don't know, some kind of Scandinavian last name that I cannot pronounce either. I apologize, but uh, from Finland. Anyway, person writes in, says, first, the discussion about Sex Pistols versus Clash following the Bourdain episode, Damien said that Sid Vicious wasn't in the band when Sex Pistols made Nevermind the Bollocks. However, I think he actually was already in the band at the time of the recording, but he was such a crappy bass player that Steve Jones had to play the bass track. Sid Vicious is even listed as a co-writer on two songs, Bodies and Holidays in the Sun. A small detail, but it caught my attention, and they write here, a great album, horrible band. Okay, that's the beginning. Uh, Second, completely agree with Damien about Bought and Sold by Intensity, a great record, definitely one of my favorite 10 inches. There you go. Um, third, as far as punk references on TV shows and movies, uh, don't remember if the Netflix show Glow has been mentioned before, um, but if it has, he apologizes, or she, sorry, he or she. Uh, if not, it's a comedy drama about women entering, gorgeous ladies of wrestling, of course, I'm sure people, most people know, but uh, professional wrestling in the 80s, one of the characters is a young punk who is seen wearing uh, at least an angry Samoan shirt and then a germ shirt. Uh, as well. I've watched that show, but I don't remember this reference. You don't remember? Oh, yeah. That's his... No, I do now, yet, now that I see it. Yeah. The spoiler. There's a spoiler with who that character is. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's right. And then, yeah, so the Samoan shirt, which is the cover of the... Oh, and the germs. Yeah, cool. Um, but anyway, the uh, email goes on. I uh, thought it was pretty cool because there aren't many obvious bands for stereotypical punk character to be into. The more obvious choices have been Ramones, Black Flag, Bad Brains, which I also happen to see recently on t-shirts worn by a female character in a sports-related movie called Stick It, starring Missy Prigram and Jeff Bridges. I don't know who that first person is offhand. Anyway, um, the movie is about a rebel gymnast who, in addition to doing gymnastics, rides BMX bikes and listens to punk. The Sex Pistols poster is seen on her wall. She wears the aforementioned shirt. uh, And the soundtrack has songs by Green Day, Blink, and Fall Out Boy a very warped tour-ish teen movie. And then there's another mention here of uh, Halt and Catch Fire is another show that I'm not sure if it's already been talked about in footnotes, but it's probably has the coolest soundtrack ever heard on TV or movies. That is, that is a high praise here. But uh, it says the very, f- sorry, the first few episodes alone 
feature at least the Vandals, Clash, Richard Hell, Bad Brains, The Boys, Big Boys, and X-Ray Specs. And they write, that's all for now. So there you go, Dame. What do you got to say about any of this stuff? Um, yeah, like, I, sorry, when I said he wasn't in the band, like, I mean, he didn't play on any of that record. He did play, mm-hmm. yeah, on Bodies, but they put him in super low. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, I meant, like, you can listen to it without thinking he actually played on it. But uh, yeah, they're they're not good people. You know, John Lydon's definitely revealed <laughs> that about himself. Steve Jones seems, you know, pretty cool. You know, the biography's got some parts where I'm like, wow. But, um, you know, like not, not as – he hasn't said anything as politically horrible as John Lydon. And he's not implicated in a murder that <laughs> allegedly he may not have done, according to some people. Um, that's, <laughs> okay. We, that would be actually like a – a wild true crime thing for turn, but turn it a punk true crime to get into. Yeah. I don't want to start tying those, those together. That's on you. That's on you. Start talking <laughs> about rockets, red glare and start talking about getting real mm-hmm. deep with that one. I know not of what you speak. Continue. Really? I know what you speak. I'm just not going to speak on it. Okay. okay. I was going to be like, you don't know this one. Oh, I know all about it. Uh, let's go to, uh, shout out though, by the way, to the movie talk radio, amazing in that movie. Continue. Yeah. The movie's a great movie. Um, what about, what, what was the movie again that had the best soundtrack? Um, TV show, show, I believe here, halt and catch fire, which I am not familiar with admittedly, but, uh, TV series. And (laughs) I wonder if there's like a soundtrack record. I don't know. There probably is because this seems to be to everything now. Um, speaking of which, it's just like the- it just seems like it's actual like, just you know, soundtrack stuff, not not uh songs. You mean like to dr- play like dr- score? Dr- sorry, yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, rather than uh, songs. Um, yeah, because there's not much about the show I can see here. It's an AMC show, apparently. And it aired from, yeah, it's done now, it looks like. Uh, what's it also called? Uh, uh, Young Drunken Punk or whatever? The uh, Yeah, the Bruce McCullough show. That had a pretty good soundtrack, too. I don't remember songs on it offhand, but yeah, it's, it was a neat show. What are the diodes? It had pointed sticks on an episode. Mm-hmm. It had, yeah, it had a pretty good soundtrack. Well, and the, the character who I believe is supposed to be him uh, as a young person. Um, or whatever framed after that, uh, is, you know, a punk spiky hair, whatever. It's not too, like it's overt enough, but it's not like, you know, I don't recall seeing t-shirts being worn in the show, but yeah, he wears, he wears some, he wears a lot of punk shirts. Okay. Well, there we go. Type thing. Like, uh, yeah, it wasn't too bad to be honest with you. That's good. I mean, it, I believe he – Bruce McCullough, of course, from Kids in the Hall. I believe that he made the show. I don't. Yeah, know. he did. It's based on a book he wrote called Young, yeah. Drunk, and Punk as well. Yeah. I got to interview him when I was doing that Q-fill-in gig for a while. Nice. It uh, it went okay. You know? Promise he'd come back on the podcast. Hasn't happened yet. One day I'll get him on here. Well, you got one of them, so there's got, I got I got one of them, but, you know, there's a couple more kids in the hall that I need, I'd love to get on the show. Yeah, all of them. All of them. <laughs> yeah, definitely all of them. Every single one, yeah. Uh, I also have an uh, Instagram message that someone sent in, uh, once again, in regards to the Fat Tony episode to me. Uh, let me get this thing pulled up. Every wrong button to push. <laughs> uh, 
right. There it is. Uh, yeah, John Till Death wrote uh, in and sent me a link to the discovery page for the artist Blackie, who uh, was talked about in the episode uh, with Fat Tony. And, yeah, it's like a rather extensive discography. I got to check this stuff out because it looks pretty fucking awesome. What is the, like, for people that want to search on the resource, it's like Blackie, like 25 or something? No, it's just Blackie, all caps. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't, all caps with spaces in between each letter. Ah, okay. Maybe that'll... Let's see if I can pull it up that way. Yeah, okay. It's coming up. Most recent record was last year, so Blackie's still making tons of music. Um, but yeah, definitely thank you for sending that in. Um, I'm going to do a deep dive. Nice. Uh, all right. Any any other mailbag stuff to get to? No, that, that was all we had as far as like main contextual stuff. All right. Well, we've got a lot to get into on today's episode, so... Uh, shall we dive in, Chris? Yeah, man. Let's go. Okay. Uh, this week on the show, Spike Slauson, which of course is to set up and announce the 77 festival pre show that I'll be doing in Montreal on 26th of July. It please, if you're around there, come on out. It should be really fun. Don Letts is also doing a screening of his documentary and a Q and a, I want to have some cool guests on there. Uh, the lineup for this festival is like a who's who of turned out a punk guests, former guests or wannabe guests or not that they, they want to be. I want them to be guests on this show. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be a really fun time. And I'm looking forward to it. And our good friend Melanie Kay helped set this one up. Yeah. Former guest. Former guest. You know, very, very cool. In fact, actually, next week's guest, Magnus from Satanic Surfers got hit up by Melanie and she was like, Hey, you know, uh, Damien, uh, wants you to be on his podcast. She's like, I was just listening to your episode on his podcast. So it was very, uh, serendipitous. So that will be coming up next week along with a surprise guest next week as well. Uh, but yeah, so this is going to be the kickoff for a whole fun bunch of shows that are going to be coming up with future guests from this festival as well. Uh, starting with Spike from Me First and the Gimme Gimmies. Chris, are you a fan or were you a fan of Me First and the Gimme Gimmies? Like, I mean, when it came out, I, I thought it was very interesting. I like the idea. Like, I bought the first whatever record it, or whatever is on CD at the time. Um, yeah, it was like it was neat. I liked how it was absurd, kind of. And uh, it's got a good vibe when I still look at the cover. Still kills me the, the fat mic with the golf. <laughs> like he's got the golf club while one one of them is holding like a bowling ball and then like yeah it's just a very yeah i like the vibe on it um but yeah i don't remember a lot about the record i'm looking at the the track listing now and it's kind of funny like the the covers they do are just <laughs> just insane i'm thinking now like how did they get the rights for all this stuff like just see, like they cover Rocket Man. I think you can cover any song. It's just as long as you pay them a mechanical royalty. Okay. Because I'm just like, man, <laughs> like Seasons in the Sun, I Am a Rock, Uptown Girl. Oh, they've done everything. <laughs> like it's crazy. <laughs> Leaving on a jet plane. <laughs> like it actually just makes me laugh thinking of these, like reading them out going, wow. And I don't, I don't know why I don't have much recollection of this, but 
what I remember at the time is I couldn't believe how decently they actually covered the stuff. Like it's it's good. Mm-hmm. Like like it's not crap. Well, by that point, they were, all these guys were like shit hot players, right? And like yeah, had yeah. been playing in you know bands for years and could could do it. And it's like it's funny, but like the cover was such a um like the the like kind of like out of the blue out of left field cover was such a staple of like the the fat band thing at the time yeah like you know there's the high standard cover on their record uh you know there's no effects covering vincent on yeah see like that one by the way i'm glad you brought that up because i was thinking about this interview going into it because you had mentioned you were you had done it and I, in my head, I thought that was there. That that was a me first cover, and I always thought that was a great cover, and that they did a good job on it. And then I realized, oh, that's just a straight up no effects cover. Mm-hmm. I forgot that it wasn't it wasn't me first. It's actually just no effects. Well, there were so many punk covers comps around the time, right? Yeah. Like punk rock jukebox, and then there's that uh, high school punk compilation where no effects covers the electricity on it, mm. and. Uh, like it was Jeff, it was just a part of it. And I think me first in the gimme gimme's was like taking that idea. And this wasn't like saying that they did this, you know, consciously as a way to like make themselves famous or anything, but they just took that idea and took it to the logical extreme, which is just make a full time punk cover band. Yeah. To me at the time when it came out, it made sense. Like there was nothing about this group that rubbed me the wrong way. Like it was just, it seemed, it didn't seem too, uh, it was intentionally cheesy as it should be, but it wasn't like overtly, I don't know. I, I was always fine with this group and I always thought the name was clever and the, the whole, the whole package was a good, good idea. So, whereas I think the, some of the other things you're referencing were a little too opportunistic, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I agree. There's definitely, you know, bands that kind of like cashed in on it and I think, like theirs was, you know, an innocent thing. I don't think any of them realized that it was going to get this bit as big as it got. Yeah, and I think also like it always came off to me that they actually really liked these songs. Like I did, like when I listened to this, like <laughs> again, it's been twenty some odd years or more. Like I listened to this and I thought these guys like these songs. They must, yeah, because yeah. there's no. Whereas you know, a lot of times you'll have that like ironic punk cover where someone will cover a song but it's clearly you know like you know meant to be like a, a statement of some kind whereas these songs i just thought no no they're just like covering hitters because <laughs> they because they want to just like i don't know be a cover band or whatever. <laughs> but it get, like i just think the whole concept again although it wasn't the newest idea or anything i just think it was really funny at the time and i still think it's clever I can't believe, like I'm just seeing now, like they did a lot of records. Yeah, do you go to the, go down and see the compilations? They have that me first, the gimme gimme's bowling bag. Uh, let me see here. Which comes with twelve seven inches. Oh boy. Okay, I'm just noticing that. Wow. Jesus, that is insane. Yeah. You don't think about it very much, like, or at least I don't think about it, but like. It's insane some of these fat records variations, how much this stuff goes for. Wow, yeah, this is expensive. You're right. Holy. Kind of makes sense, though. It must have sold for a good amount at the time because this is a lot of records. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. What is it? 12, 7 inches? 
Yeah. No, 11. 11 7 inches, I think. Yeah, 11 7 inches plus the bowling bay. Wow. Can you imagine having to throw this together? Good lord. A lot of a lot of people putting yeah. their uh, time and effort filling bowling bags. I was just gonna say now that just that that sucks. <laughs> that would suck to do. <laughs> that would really suck to do. As someone who's packed some records before, <laughs> this would be insane. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Well, you know, it's it's one of those things where, you know, if you're packing bowling bags with seven inches, there's got to be a labor of love component to the entire experience. I'm also looking here. <laughs> they actually have a record. Hold on. I just want to make sure I'm reading this correctly. So they have what? Okay. So I'm looking at their main records, but under the compilations, there's a compilation that is, well, it's listed as a compilation, but it's have another ball and it's the unearthed a sides. Let me get to that. But I don't understand why this isn't categorized under one of their main albums. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just because it's all from different periods, different recording sessions. I don't know. It could be. It just seems strange. Yeah, it is really weird. Unless it's on a... No, it's official. Yeah. Anyway, I just thought that was a strange... Because it's not under their main albums, but it's under the comp appearances. Yeah. It's also going through the record labels. They did a record on... Fat, Epitaph, Kung Fu Records, Side One Dummy, Hopeless, Lookout, Alternative Tentacles, Honest Dons, BYO, Piece of Death Records, which is an amazing label of Japan. I think run by high standard people or has some association with high standard. Nitro Records, No Idea Records, J-Tree Records, and then Fat (laughs) Records. So they kind of did all of them. All of them. (laughs) They did did everything. They didn't do a victory or a rev. They didn't do Victory, Rev, or Discord. That's about it. Yeah, those are kind of like... <laughs> and Touch and Go, they could have done at the time, I think, too. Yeah, true. But those, like, out of all the labels that I think they could have done records on, they did there, it. There is one I'm shocked they didn't do, but it could be for reasons of, like, I don't know, maybe they didn't get along or something, but I'm shocked there isn't a Sympathy record uh, or a Man's Ruin record. Yeah, I don't know if Sympathy or Man's Room would have, at that time, like, obviously Spike was down with all that stuff, but yeah. would have been down with a fat band. True, that's that's what I mean. I think that that was probably the barrier, but it's funny, in, in hindsight, when I look at this stuff, it's like, that seems to be the, or even a sub-pop single would, would have been funny. Oh yeah, a sub-pop single would have been fucking amazing. But I don't think those labels have that kind of sense of humor, you know? yeah. I guess what I'm trying to say here, and people who listen to the show enough, is that I characterize one success in the 90s as having at least one or multiple records out on all of those labels. The, and, yeah. Go, I, I think, like, No Effects also has, you know, things associated with No Effects has, like, a stigma towards it. Now, present day stuff, obviously, <laughs> I'm not talking about, but I'm talking about just in general, like... I know not of what you speak. Go yes. On. But, I mean, like, back, back like... You know, I remember when we got signed to to um, uh, to Matador, and we're like, "Oh, we want to put in like influenced by Minor Threat and No Effects in our bio," and they were like, "Why would you want to put No Effects in your bio?" (laughs) It's like they were like, just like why? Like they did not understand that at all. Like it's just, and I remember like, and I met like a lot of people 
in like various indie rock bands. And that's like the band that they just like don't get. Like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a good band that it'd be kind of comparable for us, but and there certainly are bands that would be comparable for us like that. But like a band that was just like, it seems like right from the get go was just like not their thing. Like Brian Walsby, every time he's on the show is like a perfect indication. How he's just like completely dismissive of all that Southern California sounding stuff with the exception of Propagandi. Who are from Winnipeg, but yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, like, had kind of like, you know, I'm not saying that they are, they sound the same or anything, but like they have that kind of like Southern California informed sound, especially on that first record because of, I guess, the production and things like that. Yeah, I think, uh, well, I think why it's one, I think that tr- like the, the, again, all due respect to no effects. I, I am a no effects fan. I mm-hmm. haven't yeah. Same here. Like, if you're listening to the playlist this week that I put up on on uh, the streaming service that I, you know, am not paid to do these things for, so, um, but uh, you know, like I put on the decline, which I listened to the whole way through, and I'm like, this is one of the true masterpieces to come out of like punk in a post, you know, '80s kind of world. Mm-hmm. I I don't know if I feel as strongly as you do. I think we've had this discussion, but it is very good. It's what fucking I- incredible, Chris. <laughs> See that that's when I'm like kind of out of no effects. I guess is what. So I so was but, I. Like I was completely out of it. Oh then yeah. I heard, then I heard that song and I was like, Yo, okay. One day I'm going to start a band and I'm going to do incredibly long, pretentious songs because of this. <laughs> well, this is we're actually in the in having this min, miniature debate about this. I think we're kind of nailing the point that you were saying earlier, which is what is the aversion people have to this group yeah. uh, at a certain point? I think I think largely what for me what it is in the in the latter stages, although they had this throughout, is that there's always a, a large stroke of humor to the group. And so I think that comes off a certain way to people as either being a little too cheesy or a little too whatever. And so for me though, I think if you you know, if you if you've been on the path that you and I have been on and you are of our age and our relative demographic, so to speak, and you have not been influenced by one of these no effects records, one of the, the, the cornerstone no effects records, I don't understand. Well, yeah, and you could be anti-influenced by it too. Like you could yeah, react exactly. to it by being like, yeah, I yeah. hate this. This yeah. is not my thing. But it's still, you know, again, I I get that there are groups people don't like. I There's groups I do not like and will not budge on and have always disliked. And I, I get that. I get that this exists. But, I mean, it's it's hard to listen to some of those songs and not think that they're great songs. Like, no effects are great songwriters. This is the other thing I will fully admit all day long is that regardless of how I feel about some of the execution on the records, like production-wise, they're great songwriters. Like, and those good records have some real, real good songs on them that just happen to be framed in like a, you know, whatever, like a pop-punk frame, so to speak. But if you were to break down, I mean, even if, what's the song? i got to look it up now. Is it just called, like, Don't Play the Song on the Radio? Whatever that song is off. Please play don't, Please don't play the song on the radio. Yeah. Like, that song is a great song. Like, it's a catchy song in a, in a good way. It, of course, it's not completely, you know, a... Uh, it wouldn't be what I would say, yeah, listen to this as the cornerstone of what this band is. But it's it's a really, really cleverly written pop song in a way. And so they just always have jams. I think Punk and Drublick has many jams on it. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, there's an era of this group I think is really important. And, and, you know, this period of like, particularly, I mean, I'm sure they've always been a good live band, but when I caught them in like 96, I believe, 
they were incredible lives. So, you know, there's, when you marry all of that together, that's, I think people miss the point now because you can easily dismiss something in a soundbite or whatever. And like you're saying, there's contextual things in the last few years that turn people off and all that too. So, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I just I'm a fan of this group, you know, in, in that era, and I don't get how people aren't like. I, if unless you're, of course, if you're older, like, like if you're older and and you, especially if you're like a decade older and you were like involved in in certain things that I could see you like this kind of coming up after you, maybe not being your thing. But if you had to take a path to get somewhere like you and I did, I think you know this was a very very common step. Well, like also just think about like the careers that band has had, right? Like. A fucking mystic band that years later would kind of almost play a role in helping get a Democratic president elected to unseat George <laughs> W. Bush. Yes. But I think like you've just actually summarized. See, for me, my attitude toward this group is like I get the idea that there are people that that do not like pop punk to the point where they're just they can't do it. Yeah. Like, Every band in that category to them is is a no go. But this is almost like a different thing than pop punk, right? Like I think I agree. This is what I was just about to say, though. Yeah, is, that, is I feel that this group is a group that's exempt from that. I've always felt that. Yeah, you can you know you can make whatever uh, you know stereotypes about that that music or the production or whatever. But that's one of the groups that's exempt because they were you know they're they're sort of like the 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 pioneers of it. You know what I mean? So it's not. They're, the criticism doesn't fall on them the same way it would on, you know, I don't know, whatever X group that you know you don't like from that era, or sorry, after that era, I guess you should say. Yeah, like, but it's funny because like, I, you know, like the fastbacks, right? Like, there's a bunch yep. of people that love the fastbacks or the buzzcocks mm-hmm. or like, yep, you know, like or even screeching weasel that will yep. not fuck with no effects at all. Yeah, and that I don't get, especially the latter. I, I, the first two, I do think there is a slight sonic, well, not slight. It's it's significant enough a sonic distinction. I get why, and and there's and if I'm being completely honest right now, there's certainly a pretension with people that like certain groups, including myself, mm-hmm. as to why they won't mess with one or the other. And of course, fastbacks, you know, for the most part, are like a, are a cool person band. They're not gonna, you know, they don't get that same reaction. Buzzcocks, of course, are always the cool band. But uh, uh, Screeching Weasel is a great example because I think they're another group that, for me, as a group, sonically, like they're another one that's exempt. Like if you were to look at all of these things that people don't like about that, you know, the genre that these groups influenced, mm-hmm. and even though they contain all of these ingredients for the most part, these are the like they're one that again I just think are excellent, and I, I would exempt them from any criticism in that regard. Uh, so it's sonically speaking. I so, would like. I would almost say that this like this no effects world is almost like a separate genre, and we kind of talk about this on the Spike episode when he talks about how you know like this wasn't his stuff, like he was into the garage stuff that was happening. But like, yeah. I almost feel like you could have like pop punk, and like that's like Dillinger Four, uh, you know, that's like the highest evolutionary form, or the Ergs, yeah, or or like you know a Lifetime and all this yep. kind of stuff. But then it's almost like there's like this Southern California sound, which is almost like a kind of a, you know, adjacent genre, but I wouldn't really describe it as pop punk in the same way. And like, you know, strung out, lag wagon, no effects, Pennywise, not that any of these bands sound the same, you know, I don't think these bands sound the same at all, but like at the same time, I think they have, 
you know, a metal influence on the guitar, maybe? That's what does it? I, I don't think Pennywise do as much. For me, Pennywise, I put in a different category sonically than those groups. But I know what you're saying. I I do feel that, especially early No Effects, has definitely a metal influence. Not even early um, No Effects. It's almost like that, like, ribbed. Yeah, SM Airlines to... Yeah, uh, I, I'm, I'm speaking in... Yeah. yeah not post-Mystic, pre-sort of the defined uh, fat era is what I'm trying to address. Yeah. But yeah. Um, you're right. Yeah, exactly. Ribbed or like S&M Airlines a bit even. Um, Strung Out certainly have that. Um, trying to think of other bands. Uh, what was the other one you mentioned? Why Lagwagon. Lag, Lagwagon for sure do. Uh, even though I kind of think that their most notable stuff doesn't as much and it is more in league with like the no effects that we're discussing. Um, yeah, as far as Pennywise, I think that's a little... For me, they're they're a little more straight-up influence, or at least the earlier material is a little more straight-up influence, like from, you know, whatever, from, like, punk hardcore. Yeah. It's yeah. a little less, you know what I mean? In a good way. I mean that in a... In a it's a little more meat and potatoes in all the right ways as opposed to being as much frills as some of these other groups got into. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my my interpretation. But, yeah. Um, but, yeah, you're right. I don't, I don't know... It is funny that there is a constant aversion to these things, and that always exists. And I think that has to do with the Goliaths of the repu- – well, not reputations, but the Goliaths of, of groups like Green Day or Blink or you know whatever. The, the plethora of other groups that came after them that were like blockbuster radio chart you know, bands or whatever. And that's what soured – I mean amongst other things that would sour a lot of people on this stuff. But – I I have never categorized those bands in the same way. Even even with Green Day having a, a relevant history to tie to that, I still do, even Blink to a degree. I still don't put those bands in the same category at all. Like again, I feel that No Effects is exempt. Screeching Weasel is, is exempt from those criticisms of that kind of music. Yeah, like I, I don't think they're exempt of those criticisms, but at the same time, I think to me it's like. I don't know, it all goes back to the fact that like you have no effects, neurosis and the Melvins all playing together, rich kids and LSD, like all these bands kind of playing mm-hmm. together in, in kind of the same scene coexisting at the same time. Like that to me, you know, like is, is why it, I think I, that's why I love this genre. Cause it's like all these bands could coexist, but like that comes off in this podcast too. Like I can't bring up no effects to fucking the Melvins and I can't bring up the Melvins to, to Mike. Because it's like the two bands just chirp each other. <laughs> really? Yeah, like the, it's on one of the Fat Mike episodes where he. Just, I thought, yeah, I thought he kind of. I do re- vaguely recall something. And it's funny because they would have played together. Like they would have been friendly. I. Th- but again, that <laughs> knowing the personalities you're discussing. Well, I don't know them personally, mm-hmm. but you know, knowing your experiences with them, that obviously there are public discussions that have come out in these podcasts and. Like it doesn't surprise me that these individuals, <laughs> these are these are opinionated individuals you're yes. discussing. Yes. <laughs> so, of course, that's going to come to the fore. Uh, but yeah, it is a little bizarre, being that there is some kind of shared history. But maybe that is also why it exists, and we, you know, who knows? <laughs> Someone give me enough money to sort of turn it a punk television network, so I can have a show where I like put debates of just two completely conflicting personalities arguing about what in is what is punk rock and that's what the show will be called what is punk rock 
and it'll be like Buzz and Fat Mike just like arguing with each other about what is punk rock and what isn't punk rock. True, yeah, that would be amusing. I think it would be amazing. I would, I would love that show. And like, you know, like I, I, I don't think this is going to be a beef that spills out into the streets um, or anything like that. But at the same time, I find it like, I find it awesome that they're both dismissive of the other one's art form in a way. Yeah, but it also makes sense to me too, though, yeah. because this is like again. I remember there's things in both interviews, but I remember the 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 Mike interview. He says some pretty wild stuff, like the what was his opinion? He doesn't, he doesn't like have the bad taste because I like the Melvins. <laughs> well, that no, but there was also like he's dismissive of. It. I think it's like Canadian subhumans, and then there was another. There's a few big ones where he just is like he's not into it. Yeah, but then there's stuff that he like he's way into that I wouldn't have ever thought. Mm-hmm. He loves he loves the antidote record, which mm-hmm. is an amazing mm-hmm. record. So it makes total sense. But I just thought, wow, that is not a record I expected you like to picture you jamming all the time. Yeah, like I guess it's yeah. I guess one of those things that's like you know it's these people are uh, you know like uh, uh, you know just like us. <laughs> you know they just totally yeah, and they they have th- their opinions that are just as weird and irrational as ours. Yeah. When it comes yep. to music. Um, but like, that's, I, I, I like you do not understand like people's like aversion to no effects because like, you know, and this comes up in the interview as well with Spike, like this is, this is the self-made label. Like they didn't really have an offspring or a green day or, you know, they didn't, they, they had a no effects obviously, but like everything else on their label was kind of like an in-house kind of build. It feels like. Yeah, no, I, I've always there's you know I've always thought again this isn't a label that for for a, a period there's certainly a label that I looked at for certain groups but they're not a label I've followed greatly since the '90s if I'm being honest like since the mid '90s mid to late but yeah for sure there's that always that and and just like again like I the hit knowing the relative history of even like Mike or that group you know there's always been things about what he's done that I've liked, you know, mm-hmm. in some capacity, even fat. Like I shouldn't say that yet. Cause even I remember that the sick of it all record that came out, I think it was fat, right? Or yep. was it honest dons? No, it was fat. Yeah, fat. Yeah. So like there was things that I was even piquing my interest even late. I guess that would have been early two thousands, but yeah, um, and Vale, Vale had the record on there. Too, yeah. They've than... always had a few. And of course, swing utters. Swing and utters, like, so there's, there's always been, you know, the odd thing that, is why I think, you know, a little tip of the hat is required when, uh, you know, in hindsight, especially when people discuss this, instead of just saying, well, it's it's this or that. That's my attitude. But I don't have any hang-ups about labels or styles of music, really. No, and I like, you know, obviously, Propagandi, too, is another band for me that's, yeah, you know, like, just always sounded kind of different. But... At the same time, they had that period where, you know, the bands, maybe it was because of the production that was happening and things like that, but they all did have, like, not, they didn't sound the same, but but there was, like, a similar sonic kind of, you know, stream running through them all yeah, for a no, moment. No, that, that is accurate, and I think that that, I get that kind of criticism, but I think that is, for me, that's, like, outside of the label. This is, like, I get that there's probably a system in place as to why people were getting all their work done at, you know, the similar places or, or sounding the same. But to me, like, if that's out of the, the group's hands, that's a silly to sit. Like, 
why should that label dictate the where where you're recording something? Like I, I think that's kind of bizarre. I think like that should be a band sort of decision. And so, to me, that fault that kind of criticism falls more on the band than the label. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, like I'm sure, like you know, and I think that's bands wanting to record there. It's like, yeah, we want that sound for our records. Like, sure, yeah. Um, I remember being a kid, being like, I would love my records to sound like that. I wish. <laughs> well, of course. Like for me, the, the thing that I think is the is the biggest uh, revelation or epiphany, as it were, to to your punk ear when when your punk ear is not honed. My what I would say the biggest revelation sh- should be is recognizing that that is not what you want your drums to be like. <laughs> like if I'm being, you know. Especially in, in right now, as an as a fully adult human being, and being a bit you know curt about it, that that is the first. If once that hits you, then you know the path is is open. But it's until that point, if you're enamored with like how tricky it is or how clever, it's like no, no, no. You need that's one thing you need to get past. It's ironic that you're interviewing who you are next week, and I'm saying that too, by the way. But anyway, go on. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. No shade. I just mean it's funny that you're you happen to be interviewing a drummer <laughs> next week from a, a prominent style of that type. Well, yeah, there's there is like um, I don't know there there. Well, it's just like that that sound became. It was like it was very popular, you yeah. know, and it was like the dominant sound. Like in the same way, in in the eighties hardcore, there was a certain sound that was like kind of the dominant sound in bands that broke. And and late eighties hardcore, you know, like I had a, talking to someone today. It kind of came out of a late 80s kind of scene and was talking about how every band sounded youth crew and you kind of had to sound youth crew. Yeah, and I also that think time. that that is, you know, that isn't good either. You know, there are certainly good youth crew bands, but that, you know, that whole, the redundancy of that is not, it's often terrible, if I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, it's the same, I would levy the same criticism at something like that, absolutely. You know, so, yeah, it, it's, that's, these are the issues that I have with, with certain things like that. Well, this has been a very long conversation to get yeah, back yeah. to where we started. <laughs> yeah. uh, let's, let's pick something centric. Can I bring up a point here or at least a point of clarity that maybe you can help me on right now yeah, with it? Yeah. You bring up the dwarves and I was trying to look up what does he do in the dwarves? He was on a couple of dwarves records. Like, does he play an instrument? I thought he played bass on a couple of recordings. Okay. Cause that's what piqued my interest. Also, um, I love that it's a seven up. inch. I think it's a seven inch on Sympathy, like one of the later Sympathy seven inches. But it even he's listed as a credit on. Uh, I looked it up. He's listed as a credit on. Uh, They're young, good looking. He's even on, but I don't know if it's just like backup vocals or something. I can't I'm trying to find that because I, I just was like thinking in my head, was he in like a touring lineup of the band or so he might have played in it too? Actually, yeah. So he says he's on. He does <laughs> instruments and vocals on. The Dwarves Are Young Good Looking from 97, of course, on Epitaph, which is kind of sort of the the peak Dwarves record, if you will. Uh, And he's on Come Clean as well. What does he do? Because I had no idea about this. And he's on a bunch of singles. Yeah. What does he play? What does he do? I was hoping it would come up, but I'm hoping in a part two, well, in the part two to come, I guess. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna see him at the festival, so he's down to do, he's excited to do a part yeah, two Yeah, it just there. says performer. I don't know what he does, but anyway, he's on those records, which is cool. I didn't know that. That was something I thought was really cool. 
and specifically that he shouted out. I, I thought it was amazing when he was talking about all the stuff he saw, but he said he did not see Blood, Guts, and Pussy era dwarves, mm-hmm. but how much he loves Sugar Fix, <laughs> which I was super into. And that record is great. And uh, yeah, big fan. So I love that shout out. Anyway, if you had another point, I just wanted to get into that. If we're if we don't have something to go off, no, no, definitely. Like I, I, I kind of thought it was interesting that he didn't see the dwarves either because he seems like he was like really into that scene. And from reading Eric Davis's book, um, we never learn. Yeah, like, great book by the way. An amazing book. Like I would say, an essential read if you're a fan of this music. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really felt like they were like a band that, you know, had an impact, you know, like that people yeah. were, would have made a point of seeing, but, you know, he was probably just in a different stuff, but certainly in a really cool stuff. Well, my, my impression, what he said in the interview was that, he, was that he did know about it, but didn't get to see it. I don't, that was my, you mentioned the pre-Doors band though. He, that one I get that he didn't see. Yeah. But the, I think they, I think they stopped playing before he got out to the, maybe even, no, no, yeah. maybe, maybe around then. Anyway, I, I think what I'm trying to get on here is I think this that era is, is a specifically, you know, very interesting era of that band. And so I think, like, whenever people can, like, shed any light on it, I'm always very intrigued. But and so I was kind of hoping for that stories of that era, which he didn't quite get into. But Sugar Fix, still a cool era. <laughs> um but yeah, anyway, and I can't believe he's on those the Epitaph records. I had no idea about that. That's that's cool. Yeah, he definitely has like once again like this wild kind of discography for someone who didn't get going till so late. Well, it just seems so and then the 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 other point of clarity I wanted cuz again, I just don't know and it didn't didn't get touched on in the interview. So he is did he do so he toured with Swing Utters, but did he actually play? Yeah, in them? Did he yeah. Play? Okay. He took the place of, um, gosh, I can't believe I'm blanking on the bass player's name now. But the bass player who played on like Streets of San Francisco, he played on, I think, Juvenile Product, The Working Class, and I think he takes over after that. Gotcha. Okay. Um, he's definitely on Five Lessons Learned. And also, as the aforementioned for, for footnotes heads, <laughs> he is on the Youth Brigade BYO split. <laughs> yes perform, performs on it yeah well he was in the band by that point yeah um but i think he just has backing vocals on the snow you for a name record um and as well as that no effects the decline he's on that record too wow. yeah just his backing vocals though yeah either way though you Dude, know this that. is that's like the, it's the that's best. a great credit by the way can we get into this really quick <laughs> Getting a small for me and you because you have this, I don't have this, but I love the idea of getting small credits on records, like the way an actor, yeah, uh, it's like a quick cameo. Yeah, you got a credit. You got a credit on one of my records. I do, correct? Yeah, but uh, I love that idea. I'm so psyched on that. Like, if I were like that, I want that equivalent musical equivalent to like that great little cameo actor. <laughs> and like, so I think it's amazing when I see all these, like, and especially now the resource does such a good job. Like you would never know some of them, but now it lays them all out, and you go, "Man, you did good work!" Like you were going, yeah, you got, all, got in all your appearances. Nice. I wonder. I wonder if all mine are. Oh, someone. Oh, I think. I think David Up has been editing my Discogs page. <laughs> yeah, why? Now it has it turned out a punk logo as my oh, photo. Nice. 
<laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I wonder if it has credits. No, I don't. I think mine's missing a bunch. It probably is. It, I'm sure that these these kind of cameo things are are, you know, they're hard to keep track of. Yeah. But, but uh, anyways, thought that was funny. But I like that idea of of that. You've got some good ones. You're on some. You're on some Hallmark records. I would say. I'm on. I'm on some. My. Uh, I got to sing on a on a Swarm record. That was my. Remember being a kid, <laughs> being very excited about that. That is not the one I was thinking of. But go on. <laughs> what the heck? Oh, I totally don't even remember recording that. The thing, you know, fuck this on a, a Swinging Earth tribute record. I remember you telling me about it a million years ago, but I don't. Yeah, and it, did it, I thought it was one of those things that didn't come out. No, it came out. I heard it. I, I just never got copies. Okay. Uh, Toby, if you're listening, I still want my copies. Uh, <laughs> but it's uh, it, it, it's very, uh, very weird. It's like I, I found it on Discogs the other day. Or not Discogs, on Spotify the other day. Nice. Yeah, I was like, wow, this is very bizarre um, to he- get to hear this after all these years. But, man, Swing and Others, incredible band. Even hearing other bands cover them. You're like, this band's incredible. They're a great band. That first record in particular, I remember reading MRR, and that's why I bought it, because I believe it was positively reviewed. But if not, there was just a really cool ad, and I bought it on the back of that, and I was psyched on it. And uh, very cool record. But, I mean, yeah, just cool band in general. I never got to see them. So, because by the time I probably could have seen them easily, I was sort of, I'm assuming they played a Warp Tour, I would guess, or no? Um, I think they, I think they played, uh, I don't know. Did they play a Warped Tour? Maybe not then, but I've just never, never seen them. Even I, I was hoping at some point when I was on the road all the time, we would be, you know, in a, in a city or something where they play or some weird, you know, collection of, of like whatever, but, uh, it never happened. You were at the no warning show where the no warning opened for them. No, but that's Scott It's like I think it's the first No Warning show when they changed the name from As One Sword to No Warning. Oh no! And I didn't they, know that was opening for them. Wow! And they opened with a Scott intro. Okay. And all these kids came running up front, and then they went to the first <laughs> song. <laughs> oh, I love that. The psycho, love it. The psycho. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, uh, I guess we haven't really talked about any of these sort of Pittsburgh points. Yeah, I don't know, like. Uh, yeah, let's go. What do you want to go on? I don't have a lot of knowledge of it, but yeah, let's shed some light. Sure. Uh, it's, it's pretty awesome. Like, you know, the stuff he talked about, some stuff that had come up on the Jesse Michaels episode, of course, but, uh, you know, like crash kill, oh, sorry, car sickness is a band we've talked about before on the show. Uh, but the band that I was shocked at is this band. I had never heard of stick six against stone who are, as Chris and I were finding out before the show off air, uh, quite a prolific band that has been around for a very long time. Yeah, like slightly perplexing as well. Yep. But yep. yeah, interesting because he talks about them in, I don't know what years this would have been that he would have, I guess it would have been those early 84, yeah. It would have been yeah. like they're, when they before they left Pittsburgh. Yeah, because they have a long, like they're still technically active so far as what uh, the internet would tell me. So, but they seem to have different sort of incarnations if that's, uh, appropriately stated um but yeah the the discogs is 
confusing at first because it looks like this can't be the band, but then by description it is. Mm-hmm. And then when they have a, a link to their actual like website, which is stickagainststone.com, and then on there has a bit more thorough, um, you know, whatever history separates the history. So the Pittsburgh years are kind of what I believe we are centered on. But even that's kind of a wow. The photo in that is wild. I just looked it up now. There's a lot of members of this band. It's like your band. <laughs> well, hey, come on. <laughs> there, but, uh, it's like looking at the all the members of Career Suicide on stage at once. <laughs> but yeah, so anyway, there's thorough info on there, but I don't know. What do you want to get into? Uh, just that I, I did find Stick Against Stone. There are recordings from like 82 that someone has put up on streaming services. So uh, if you are so inclined to check them out, very bizarre band. Like once again, you know, and this came up on this episode also came up on the Jesse Michaels episode, but like the stuff that was coming out of Pittsburgh, it's just so arty. Yeah. Which I, again, I, I'm not intimately familiar with a lot of these groups in terms of a lot of their sound. Like I've not heard this group apart from little snippets and those, the, the video here or whatever, but uh car I don't know as well, but I don't know. Like, I'm just thinking of that era. What was happening in Pittsburgh? I don't know. Dave, Dave sort of shed some light. Uh, obviously, a correspondent, Dave Martin, uh, friend of the show. But I don't. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I just always assume. Well, I don't know. Warhol's from there, so something, something was going on in Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah. No, there's definitely, you know, some, and it might be the art school. It might be just, you know, the type of kids that are gravitating towards this music, but. Because, you know, from what Spike kind of laid out, being in a punk was kind of a dangerous thing. So you probably want, were someone that was just like, ah, oh, fuck it, I got nothing to lose. Or someone that felt safe enough to do it in in their circles that they were in. Yeah, for sure. Uh, or hard, because he said later on, like, you, you kind of had to be hard to be into this music in Pittsburgh at the time. Well, yeah, it just seems like, I, I mean... I've only been, you know, with the within the last 15 years a number of times. And it's still a city that kind of perplexes me, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I like it, but it's just I don't really know what's going on at any point, any time. I, I even know, like, even knowing that things like, you know, like anti-flag, right, are from there, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, yep, absolutely. And like, Classic Christ, too. Classic Christ and Osrotten. And, like, if I'm thinking of those things, it still doesn't. You know, it's like, okay, it, it still doesn't really trace, like, a really clear line as to what's happening. There's smaller bands I'm forgetting. I think, like, this... Brain Handle. Well, they were from there. I didn't even know that. Okay. Yeah, Kim I think No Time are from there. There's a bunch. Yeah. So, it's... I, yeah, it's just... It just as always seems like a, a hodgepodge of what's going on there. And I can't quite figure out why that is. But it's neat, though. I like I like that city. Yeah, it is a cool city. I've, I always had a fun time there. They always, they've got some really crazy food there. That place, the O, uh, you could buy a brick of French fries, like a giant brick of French fries. <laughs> okay. <of> shows. Um, <laughs> yeah, like I always had a fun time there. And it, and it has produced, you know, like some really cool music, like from the Cynics to, as you said, Anti-Flag to, to you know, Caustic Christ to, to like weird bands like car sickness and and the five and kind of like that first wave of stuff like it's produced a lot of cool things over the years well and i think like you know there's been a we've now had well at least two episodes and then we had dave talking about a lot so i feel like there's a bunch of stuff that has come up more 
frequently in sort of the last half year of the show. So hopefully it's getting a little more light. Uh, I have not yet took the, taken the time to really throw it throw it uh, throw it on my ears yet, but I will attempt to. Yeah, we'll have uh, Dave Goldchain Martin back on the show in future. <laughs> nice. <laughs> To discuss uh, th- all things Pittsburgh, including the uh, how hard it was requiring one to wear a gold chain just to <laughs> just to make it through. <laughs> I uh, I think I what I'm going to do now, and even publicly, I'm sure he'll get it eventually. Is just have him like set up basically like a whatever like a playlist of like here's Pittsburgh stuff you probably don't know that just you know as a starter, and mm-hmm. then I'll go from there. Yeah, no, there's and it's there's a lot of stuff too, and it's you know half off. That's a band that comes up all the time when we yep, talk about yep. this, and that hasn't come up yet. Um, but yeah, a hugely influential kind of city, and and like once again, like you know, Spike, someone that came out of that scene, not playing any music, and would go on to have a huge influence. Probably play to more people and sell more records than a lot of bands over the years. Well, even just the idea that this show has like taught me <laughs> both that the the singer of Operation Ivy mm-hmm. and the singer of Me First of the Gimme Gimmies are both from Pittsburgh. Like I would have never guessed that ever. Yeah. So it's just a bizarre, you know, yeah, I don't know. It's it's that there's nothing about Pittsburgh that I think of when I thought of those two bands apart from now. Like these these days now I will. But um yeah, so it's just it's funny, and it's relatively close to us geographically. So it's always to think of like, well, again, it's not that these bands started in that area, but the people from there, you're thinking, well, it's not that far away. It's too bad that yeah, I missed some of this. That's always kind of the how I kind of feel when these things come up. Mm-hmm. Well, you would have missed this by a few years. Yeah, of course. In general, I would have missed it, but. It just seems like when it's that close geographically or people from the site, you're just thinking, man, it's wild that that was sort of in our region, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. Well, it's it's funny, too, because, like, it's, it, you know, like, that was where, you know, around the time Fucked Up got going, that's where we played the most, I'd say, in the early years. Because it was so close. And it did have, like, a scene and an all-ages space that you could play at. Hmm. Um, but you know, once again, like it, it's, it, then we hit a point where it wasn't, wasn't that great for us to play anymore. We haven't played there in a long time. So <laughs> got to get back to Pittsburgh, especially now that I know all this stuff about all these bands. Yeah. You, you more or less want to, to dig in Pittsburgh is what you're saying. I want to dig in Pittsburgh, Chris, hundred mm-hmm. percent. I've done it before. <laughs> um, but I didn't know as much as I do now. <laughs> Yeah, you're armed now. Yeah, I'm armed with a little bit of knowledge, which is a very dangerous thing. <laughs> uh, true, true. Um, where'd you kind of want to go from here? Well, um, let me see. Just trying to look over the points. Love the mummy shout out, of course. Great. Yep. Um, I didn't. I liked the idea of discussing. We already kind of talked about them a little bit, but just this specific talking point. The Swing Utters and DOA comparison. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought that was really interesting because it immediately kind of made sense to me, although I I don't really think those bands sound alike in my head. But I get kind of where he was going with it. 
I didn't think at all that they sounded alike until he said it. And then I stopped there and I was thinking like, yeah, I could totally picture the, the, you know, I could totally picture them covering the prisoner. Yeah, I agree with that. I think there were, there's a bizarre kinship there somewhere, but I don't, yeah, I don't, I can't, it's just funny. I never thought of that comparison before, but, uh, and I liked this kind of the Anglophile shout out and the idea of that, that was sort of inherently Canadian, which I wholeheartedly agree with you on. I think that's solely what that is. Um, although admittedly, of course, that era of punk from, from Britain or England in specific was influencing, of course, people that era. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was an interesting pairing, and I never thought of that. That was really clever. But it's not two groups. I still don't really put them together in my brain. But, yeah, there is – yeah, I don't know what it is. I just like that comparison, but it's something I never thought about before. Yeah, no, definitely. I never thought of it before either. But, yeah, it's one of those things that, you know, once you hear it, you're like you can't unhear it. Yeah, exactly. That's That's kind of what I'm trying to say. It's affected me, but I don't know how deeply yet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. I can't picture DOA singing Dirty Sea. No, true. Um, which to me is like a perfect song. <laughs> oh, I got to add that to it. I'm making a play. I made a playlist for myself called Drift Off. Yeah. That's just songs that I want to listen to before I go to sleep. Nice. And uh, that's a good one to add to it. Give me one sec. Christmas guy. There playlist. you go. Look at that. This is like, uh, I'm realizing now, playlists, you know, in the same way that all our lives now are much more convenient, as someone who spent a lot of time making mixtapes and agonizing over mixtapes, having a streaming service is a lot like having, you know, the ultimate kind of mixtape setup. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Not everything's there, you know, yet. Yeah. Yet, yes. (laughs) It's getting there. It's definitely terrifyingly getting there. Yeah, I agree. I'm always amazed what what even what you mentioned to me is on some of that stuff. Oh, it's gnarly. Like there's like once in a while you find something you're like, well, like this stick against stone record, like that's like a live recording. That's not like I don't think it's a soundboard recording. Like I think it's someone in the audience. Yeah. And it's like, wow, like someone was like, this needs to be accessible to people that are paying for a streaming service. Like the same people that, you know, I have listened to, uh, it, like, you know, whatever, like the, uh, the, I'm trying to think like this Takeshi six, nine song, like 10 million times or 100 million times, or whatever are going to want to hear the stick against stone, like live <laughs> recording from 82. Hey, throw it out there. You never know what will happen. You never know what's going to happen. You never know. And I, to be fair, I did listen to both those artists in the last week. <laughs> of course <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not going to make you guess which one I listened to longer but one I did listen to considerably <laughs> longer than the other oh I know I know what one it is <laughs> uh, either way I, I don't know anyway let's just move on yeah your uh, point I think now uh, my point um, uh, where do I want to go uh, I guess the the thing that I also kind of found you know, interesting that he keeps kind of bringing up is the idea that punk is this place of people that have experienced trauma, uh, giving trauma, you know, especially at that time, you know, like, and it's funny how different a picture of 
L.A. Punk, he paints, then Brian Walsby painted? Well, um, so if I'm understanding your, your, your thoughts on this correctly, so you're talking about <clears throat> the idea of like like the violent scene or whatever, and that's sort yeah. of a, a uh, whatever, a byproduct of people who are troubled yeah. than, than exercising demons, if you will, or whatever. Yeah, like I've always felt that, that was kind of the – I think that is accurate. I, I think that is the case historically. I think that that adds up. Um, L.A. That Brian, I'm trying to think of the comparison there. Brian talks about remember Brian was like violence, he's like oh right? people glamorize this violence yeah, stuff. Yeah, he's yeah. like I didn't see any of it. Yeah. So yeah, I I think it's well. Again, I'm not. I don't know how old uh, um, Spike is, but Brian is older older than you and I, of course. But um, I don't know that you know it's in the history books everywhere, so I assume that that is an accurate thing. I think maybe Brian Brian's fortunate enough to not have experienced it, mm-hmm. but I mean, if everything Spike's saying adds up to me, like I, that's what I'm familiar with from from books and what have you, so that's what I go by. But yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know. I like the idea of. I think Spike painted a good picture though of the city that people often don't like specifically talking about like skid row and kind of like Hollywood being like, like not particularly nice in that era either. Cause a lot of people in that era sort of seem to focus on, you know, you know, whatever, like, like, I don't know what, I don't know what areas to talk about, but you know what I mean? Like, so yeah, it, it's just, uh, I don't know. I, I'm always confused on speaking on certain things like this because I just have no <laughs> – I wasn't there nor am I from there. So it's just like I don't really have any bearing on like what <laughs> what that is like or, or speaking on its behalf. But uh, I don't know. Like here – I just think things tended to be more violent in general, you know, like whatever, 30 years ago. Like in terms of like like punk shows or what have you. And I, you know, of course, that's not gone away. But I think there are a lot, you know, from even just when I started going to see stuff, there was a lot more of an element of fear than there is now. It's not to say it won't return, but you know, I hope it doesn't. <laughs> um, so I think it's just something that's you know symptomatic of you know whatever, like growing pains of a you know quote unquote subculture or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's what it is, right? It's just like. Something that has to happen, and I th- like I think there are certain obviously socioeconomic factors, especially in certain cities, as to why th- certain things like this are more prevalent. But in certain areas, like in terms of like when you hear about L.A., you hear about like gang issues. Mm-hmm. Like that's something that, of course, like you know, loosely termed, there are there have always been gangs or things of that nature in this kind of whatever you want to call it scene or whatever, but. Like here, you know, like where we live, is nothing like there, and it's just because of you know the, the environment's just totally different, mm-hmm. you know. And there's a lot more people there. There's a lot of other factors that you could say. And now, is that to say there hasn't been any? No. Like we've had issues here the same way. The thing I actually I found most interesting is is even when um, he made a really really clever point about the idea of skinheads. Uh, like adapting, like kicking out the bad element of skinheads 
Yet the element of skinhead that exists still has like a grocery list of problems. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Even though even though they don't have like the two main problems that yeah. everyone really doesn't like. But that, that was a really funny way of putting it. But the um but yeah, if you if you were to take that idea, I think him when you see how prevalent people talk about, you know, that problem, not to bag on skinheads right now, but like uh of of eras of what we're discussing, that's the most common thing that I hear. Is like people talking about that element came in and it was it was problematic and 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 when you think about of a lot of the jump off points of why uh you know dare I say certain gang or crew elements existed in the wake of those things was because of of that kind of stuff yeah you know if I, if I'm being broadly you know I'm being general here but it's so that's more uh, intriguing to me because I think that again that's like a growing pain. There's a necessity to get rid of an element, and then in turn, you sort of have you create another one inherently. And that happened a lot of places, like yeah, in, totally. To deal in particular with Nazi skinheads, like that. Yeah, you know, like you hear about a lot of crews, and that's the origin. Yep. Of them, and and also like, are you familiar with the gang, the Untouchables? No. So in the '90s, late '80s, early '90s in Toronto, like that was the gang. Okay. And it was like there were news reports about it. I remember growing up and watching these things on city TV, like the untouchables and like you get swarmed at the Eaton Center. And I was talking to a friend the, the other day who hopefully will come on the show because he had the most incredible knowledge about Toronto music history, not just sorry, Toronto music history, Toronto like youth culture history, like yeah. unlike anyone I ever talked to. And he kind of broke it down for me. He's like, yeah, the Untouchables started and they eventually became like kind of an all city gang that had chapters all over Toronto. But it started as like a bunch of kids uh, that were preppy kids that wanted to not get beaten up by skinheads anymore. Gotcha. So they formed this gang and then the gang just kind of spread, but it was to deal with this skinhead kind of problem. So it's amazing how, how much of sort of like the, the crew situation in hardcore and punk came as a reaction to dealing with having to confront fascism. Yes. And I think it's organized fascism in some cases too. I don't want to pretend like all these guys. Of course, were. Yes. And again, we're using the term skinhead as a, as a very broad term right now. Yeah. We're, we're saying we're saying skinheads. We're referring to Nazi skinheads at this yes, point. We're, we're referring to exactly that, that issue, not. Yeah. So it's, it's um, yeah, it, it's, I don't know. I, I, I think all of these like now as like a boring adult, I think all of these things are, are the same problems that exist, you know, in other areas of the world. Like other I think these are always the same human problems that exist. It doesn't matter where, what country, whatever, it's 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 always going to you know, when you get a group of uh, groups of people that want to be communal, there's going to be issues. <laughs> and I think that, you know, that's the punk scene is very communal. The hardcore scene is very communal, largely. And so you're always going to encounter these things, especially when people want to come in and disrupt it or or there's just a change in, in like, guard. Yeah. I think you're always yeah. going to encounter these things. And I think now, and again, maybe I'm being naive here, but I think we're, we're in a good spot historically at the moment where it doesn't seem to be as awful as it was even 15, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even, even less than that, if yeah. I'm being totally honest. So... That hopefully is progress, but uh, you know I don't think this will ever change. I, I I hope it doesn't get as bad as some of the things that are described in the show by people who are of a generation before us. But 
I don't expect it to ever get cleaned up, unfortunately, because I just don't think that's realistic. Well, I think it's like a different scene now, right? Like it's, you know, kids in general aren't, aren't like as free, you know, like, I don't know. I was, by the time I was Holden's age and maybe Holden's got a different experience because his dad plays in a band and he's been to concerts, but it's always been like, he'll sit on the side of the stage and watch the Melvins play or, Mm -hmm. or, or like see my band play or something like that. So, but I remember by the time I was his age, I was at an ACDC concert with my stepfather, like watching dudes vomit in the sink. Like, (laughs) you know, not that my kids don't have to smell weed smoke. In general, but, but like, you know, like smelling people smoking weed around me, like looking at people smoking weed yeah, around yeah. me, mm-hmm. like it, it felt like it was just like, you know, and I'd be going out on weekends and buying like firecrackers and like nearly blowing off my arm and all this shit that I can't imagine <laughs> a kid doing now. Yeah, I suppose there's a <laughs> at that age, like- I mean. I agree with you because that's that is a um, not the ACDC story outright, but yes, that kind of experience is what I experienced too. But I think that's we're of the same era. I think like you know you could break it down and say, well, you know, I don't remember as a kid being like like pharmaceuticals being like the rage. Yeah, yeah, that's I think true. That's that's going to be you know what young young people. Well, when I say young, sorry, like whatever, like early teens early teens to like early adulthood that's that's kind of more of of an epidemic than it was when at my that i we didn't have that mm-hmm. we didn't have that to the to the degree that's happening now or so i think it's there's and considering that we also you and i are of the age of like the rave revival and to think that that still wasn't as predominant uh a thing i mean it was certainly there but not to the degree now and, but i i don't know i think it was bigger then well, I you know, don't, like, maybe I just didn't focus. Like, I don't remember hearing anything about certain kinds of pharmaceutical drugs that I hear now. Oh, like the pharmaceutical. I meant, I thought you meant just rave music in general. No, no, no. Yeah, I think that. But I, what I'm saying is that you know, and, and again, this is a generalization, but that tended to go hand in hand, is what I'm saying. Well, and yet, given that era, I still don't remember hearing as much about it as I do now. It was also gnarly to think back then, like doing speed was like, like you know, and especially when he's coming from punk. Doing speed is just like a part of punk history, right? Not that I ever did speed. <laughs> yes, but now yeah. in present day terms, you think about it, it's like, that's meth. Like, yeah. <laughs> like all these yeah. ravers were doing meth. Like all these punk bands were doing meth. Like obviously, you know, crystal meth is different like than, than like sort of over-the-counter speed tablets that I guess they were taking back in the sort of the mod days. But still at the same time, it's like – Man, I had friends that were doing meth back then <laughs> so they could go to these raves. <clears throat> hey. At like 14. Yeah, it, that's exactly right, right? And and now I just I think these again, I think these things manifest just in different forms, but they're I think they're a similar symptom that will always exist. Mm-hmm. I think like yeah, I think there is a bit more safeguard on certain aspects of what it's like to be a young person now cert, to a degree, but I think there are still going to be, or or still those whatever those kind of things exist. I don't think we're ever. Gonna, I mean, you as a parent, you have more of a <laughs> invested interest than I do about it. But, but yeah. Oh yeah, no, it's it's terrifying. <laughs> I, I think though the one thing your children have the advantage about, and what you were kind of speaking to a minute ago, is I do think it goes a long way to experience. You know, again, broadly termed, 
subculture or even just the arts from uh, parents that are engaged with your with their children, but also just like uh, you know in tune and still participating and not out of it. And I think you even your upbringing, you you still had that a bit of that experience, but I didn't have that. And a lot of the people I knew that sort of perhaps got into like worse habits or just into whatever kind of uh, trouble or pitfalls associated with what we're talking about. I, you know, it's not to say you won't experience these things, but I just think that for me, that would have helped me a lot more as a young person. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? So, you know, I, I think they have a, they have a big leg up is what I mean. And I think you're going to, you know, just your record collection alone is going to help them a lot. It's going to help them understand things a lot quicker, I believe. I don't know. I don't. They don't. They don't seem to have much of an interest in my record collection. No, they're pretty, but I mean, they can pretty... contextualize it, like like yeah. history within this to a to a very lengthy degree, if they really want to. I have to break it down for them in terms like you know they're they're into <laughs> some cool stuff now, and they're luckily into stuff that like you know people that I you know I, I know are like kind of cool people too. So I'm like stoked that they're into this stuff. Like I'm like, yeah. Oh, those, yeah. Like absolutely like that band. Those are good people. They're doing good things. <laughs> um, but there, there, you know, there've been a couple close calls where I've been like, Oh God, is this what you're going to get into? Is this going to be <laughs> okay? I'm prepared. I'm not going to judge, you know, cause I know what it's like to be judged by your parents for your musical taste. But at the same time, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I do have records upstairs that I could play you. But like, you know, at the end of the day, I've got records up here that probably sold, you know, 500 copies that, you know, no one really cares about. But to me, they're like, you know, arguably the greatest records of all time. So yeah. I, I'm not, I shouldn't be surprised that my kids aren't excited by it. Yeah. But I think they're, they're, well, maybe Holden might be of the age where now he can kind of, cause I was thinking like when I, first got into things i was fairly young yeah so you start like uh i don't know i started liking things at like a fairly young age so that's what i'm always looking at like with nieces and nephews is as how like are they because i think of like what was i into at that age and i'm like man i already liked you know band xyz so like why, why aren't the man why aren't they like when are they going to come and like jam on like, well, it's not as important now right I like yeah, obviously yeah. people like like music is always important and that's the thing, but like to like to stake it out and to find it and to have ownership of it, like it's all at your finger tips, right? Like you don't yeah. have to, to, to quest for it anymore. You know, like I can, I, like, as I said, we can listen to the sticks against stone doing a live set from 82. <laughs> it's like, I think it, that's exactly right. As I have an obsolete outlook, but whereas I think like, I just want to be there for these moments where it's like you see you're around a young person. You're like, you just heard my war for the first time. Sick. All right. Let's talk about it. Yeah. That's a lot to kind of, yeah, let's unpack this. <laughs> yeah. Like I keep hoping for that moment with my kids. There was a moment the other day where Dorian's like, can you put on that song you play? That's like, I'm like, slow death by the flaming groovies. He's like, yeah. And I'm like, all right, buddy. And we both just sat there and, kind of quietly rocked out to slow death and now he uses it as an entrance theme when we do wrestling <laughs> and it's a fucking badass entrance theme yeah uh mine is a 16 song so i've got a pretty badass entrance theme too when we do the wrestling <laughs> nice um but slow death is 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 some heavy shit 
<laughs> that's a very uh that's a very uh whatever that's an astute choice uh yeah i get it's funny like i did go through a phase where i did play that song incessantly for a while so maybe that's how he picked up on it but you know it's funny that that's the, the thing that he's gravitated to like i also played uh cool me by cccp but you know he's not requesting that in the car <laughs> well, I think one is a little better of like a, a from a songwriting standpoint, one holds up a little better, I, I would say. Cooling Me by CCCP, I think is like, I'm going to go out and say this on the record here, because I've said this on social media before and it was met with scoffs of disgust, but <laughs> I want to say that's my favorite Italian punk song ever. <laughs> I'm just, okay. <laughs> it's so good, Chris. It has a xylophone in it. I I believe you played it for me. If not, I believe someone else has. I think I maybe played it for you on that road trip. Yeah, I, I I've de- I if not you, it definitely someone else has played it for me before. But uh, all I mean is that the flaming groovies tend to have a little more perhaps melody, and uh, <laughs> you don't have that. Well, no, that's I got got a xylophone. Flaming groovies don't have a xylophone on their <laughs> yeah, records. Yeah, but, yeah, but that's an instrument, not a, not necessarily inherently a melody. <laughs> Well, I guess we're going to have to beg to differ on the importance yeah, of xylophone. I do play in a band that did have a xylophone feature on a recording as well. So, Oh, of course. Yeah. You know. <laughs> um, uh, any more points you want to get to? There's a lot more points we can get to, but uh, yeah. any more points you would need to get to? No, I mean, I don't know. Like, we've kind of – I'm good for now. I'm sure we'll get into – like, the, the Pittsburgh stuff, again, we can unpack more and more with Mr. Martin. Yeah. But uh, in terms of the other stuff, I don't know. That's all I got. Um, yeah, like I think we could talk all night about this episode. As I say, for me, it was a great kind of opportunity to kind of punish someone that I was a fan of for a very long time, uh, <laughs> you know, but also someone who, you know, had a real cool take. Like, you know, whoever thought that I'd be talking to the lead singer of Me First in the Gimme Gimme's of a BGK. Yeah. What a, what a world. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I'm with you. This was a good one. I think like... I hope people that wouldn't maybe be so inclined to listen to it based on the association of the groups would will will be pleasantly surprised. Is what I would say. Yeah, and I think I think also people that will listen to it yeah. conversely because of the association with the groups, um, especially you know me first gimme and the gimme gimmies being so popular and things like that. I think you know this like he's leading you to the psychotic pineapples. Like I'm listening to the psychotic pineapples today, making this playlist. And I'm like. Fuck, I got to go home and listen to this single. This is killer. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, so, yeah, please check out the playlist for this thing as well because it's a labor of love in the sense that I loved making it. Um, it was super easy. A lot of a lot of stuff to get into on this episode. Uh, but that's it. Uh, Chris, any closing points? No, I'm good. Then how do they get in touch with us here? So to reach us, it's turnedoutapunkfootnotes at gmail.com. And uh, you can find me on various forms of social media at Leftford Damien. Please tell your friends about this podcast, write a review and rate it. And uh, yeah, we will see you next week. More seven, seven festival stuff to kind of talk about and announce, uh, you know, and uh, Magnus from satanic surfers and a surprise. Nice. Do, do, do. See you next week. <laughs>